Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me now on the Fox Sports app. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. Serious question. Do you like manufactured drama? I mean, the kind of drama, sports drama, that is created by human error or flaws in design or execution. There's no right or wrong answer to this, by the way, because I've been a fan of both. My initial uh, initial dream job was to cover college basketball, and I actually had the chance to cover a number of college hoops, games, teams, regular season, and the NCAA tourney. But once I started covering the NBA, it killed my love or appreciation for college hoops because it exposed just how many variables there were, how much manufactured drama. When a mistake is made at the pro level, it's pretty damn clear. It's like the screen glitches. It's not just a missed shot or a pass into the stands or a silly foul, but if there's a late rotation, a passed up shot, a mistimed cut, it seems written in neon. It seems obvious, right? Because everything else has a certain exactitude and flow to it. I think we take for granted how well good teams do all of that, or rather how consistently they don't make those kind of mistakes. How many times a successful play has both teams executing and it comes down to the defensive or offensive player doing something extraordinary to come out on top. That doesn't happen in college basketball. Well, College coaches seem to have unlimited power when it comes to just about every facet of the university or college that they work for. They oddly enough don't wield that power as much as I'd expect when it comes to play calling. No matter how successful a certain play might be, they seem compelled to keep shuffling the deck, going to different matchups in different sets. I don't know if it's like they want to show off their playbook or I suspect it's because... In the really good programs, they have 
multiple five-star recruits to keep happy with shots and touches. There's also the fact that there's no defensive three seconds at the collegiate level, which allows lesser skilled teams to kind of stifle any sort of inside play by playing a zone, particularly a matchup zone. The easier antidote is to bust it, of course, with a passing high post big and four long range shooters. But how many college programs have that many shooters who can also defend along with a deft passing big? You can see how quickly the game can devolve into simply which team has the bigger holes in its makeup. The really good college coaches, I find, and I don't mean the really good recruiting coaches, but the really good coaches when it comes to strategy, figure out what kind of talent they can get to consistently join their program and then devise a system that exploits whatever particular skill or talent that he gets the most of. The reason you see mid-majors and surprise teams come along in the tournament is usually because a coach has the ability to hone his system to fit that talent over several years. The turnover is too great at most of the top programs with their one-and-dones going on to the NBA after a single season to take that approach. All of that, this may surprise you, all of that is a prelude to the Knicks' season-opening double overtime win against the Celtics. Yeah, we're taking a hard left turn here from talking about college to the Knicks, but the overlying theme is manufactured drama. That's what the Knicks' win, double overtime win, was. I caught pieces of a half dozen or more games, but that was the one that stood out. In part because of the manufactured drama, in part because it presented an intriguing first page in the Knicks' season when it comes to a question I posed over the summer. With all the additions the Knicks made and their relatively disappointing face plant in the postseason, how is coach Tom Thibodeau going to evolve? Is he going to evolve? Is he capable of evolving? Now, I referred to the 138-134 double overtime win as manufactured drama because it never should have gone to one overtime, much less two. And here's why. The Knicks led by 11 with just under four and a half minutes remaining in regulation. Thanks to a step-back jumper by Julius Randle over Jalen Brown and then a Randle dunk after pump-faking Grant Grant Williams into the air. Thibodeau then proceeded to call Randall's number, getting him the ball in the right mid-post four of the next five possessions. That would be, counting in total, six of seven. And it would have been seven out of seven, but before Randall could establish position, Kemba Walker elected to throw a backdoor cross-court lob to Obi Toppin that never had a chance and resulted in a turnover. More on Walker in a minute, because he played a role in the unnecessary extra 10 minutes as well. The result of Tibbs' obsession with riding his orange Julius, offensive foul on Randall, smartly drawn by who else? Marcus Smart. Next possession, Randall missed 19-foot jumper. 
Next possession, Randall missed contested floating layup. Next possession, missed beat the buzzer force three from the corner. Keep in mind, there was no other action of any kind prior to any of those shots. Ball never switched sides of the floor, never left Randall's hands once it had been deposited in them. All of which allowed the Celtics to chew that 11-point lead down to five in less than two minutes. It was about as old-school and unimaginative offensively as you can get. Now, I know Knicks fans, some Knicks fans anyway, think Julius Randle is a bonafide superstar. But the playoffs last year should have dissuaded anyone who thought that off of the regular season. The Knicks don't have a superstar, which makes it critical on offense to hunt for matchups. When Randle had Grant Williams on him, by all means... Isolate him, let him go to work. But the Celtics' other Williams, Robert Third, is a different story. And that's who had him on the subsequent possessions. Smart switching out on one of them, presumably because he knew he could bait Randall into an offensive foul. R.J. Barrett finally broke the Randall shooting spree at the end of regulation with a driving layup, which was blocked by... Robert Williams, after which Tibbs immediately called timeout. And my first thought was, is he pissed that Barrett didn't get the ball to Randall again? It's hard to know what Tibbs schemed offensively in that timeout or if he schemed anything in that timeout because Kemba couldn't stop giving the ball back to the team he played for last year, the Celtics. Over the next 66 seconds, he had three turnovers. And this is my issue with having Kemba close the game. Derrick Rose had only played 18 minutes up to that point. Tibbs had done a nice job of keeping Rose fresh. And this is the distinction between Kemba and Derrick. The latter is capable of both matchup hunting and milking the clock as he does it. Kemba, because of his size, either has to play fast or risk getting the ball forced out of his hands. That's why... Going into a slowdown half-court set, Tibbs had him bring the ball up and then dumping it into Randall. Watch the last five minutes of regulation with Walker versus the five minutes of the second overtime when Tibbs finally brought Rose back into the game. It's a completely different offense. Rose was smart enough to bring Randall to the elbow and then play off him to create a shot for the guy the Knicks really should have been feeding all along. The shooting guard they plucked away from the Celtics with a four-year, $73 million contract. The shooting guard who delivered 32 points on 52% shooting, including six of 13 threes. That would be Evan Fournier. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Now, Randall had 35, but he shot 44%, and he had seven turnovers. 
Walker finished with more turnovers than assists thanks to that last stretch in regulation. All of that should have cost the Knicks the game. The Celtics opened the second overtime with a Jalen Brown three and had two chances to push it to five, if not seven. First with a breakaway layup by Dennis Schroeder, which he muffed trying too hard to draw contact on Derek, and then a missed dunk by Brown off a backcourt turnover by Randall. Now that turnover, which was just wasn't paying attention as he dribbled up, Brown saw it, clean, cleanly picked it, and cleanly picked it and decided I'm going to go up and make a statement and jam it, and I don't know, just took a got got caught halfway between getting up and jamming it and maybe laying it up. Looked awkward, but wasn't because of any defense. That turnover, there was a clear indication of just how fatigued Randall was, which is another characteristic of last season that I was hoping Tibbs would break, both overplaying and overusing Randall. As you probably know, Randall led the league in minutes played during the regular season, and it looks as if he'll have a chance to do that again this year. Now, there are ways to play a guy big minutes and still keep him fresh by balancing his responsibilities. But expecting Randall to chase around Jalen Brown and score on isos while playing 46 minutes is not it. As you may also know, Tibbs is not particularly fond of three-pointers. The Knicks shot a decent percentage last year, top five in the league, but that was in large part because Tibbs demands that they be judicious, which is why they were bottom six in attempts. All of that is why I was stunned at the final numbers in this season opener. The two teams combined to attempt 102 three-pointers, which is just obscene, (laughs) double OT or not. I don't need to see... 100 point, hundred plus three-pointers in any game. I don't care who's playing. I don't care if it's the Warriors and the Nets. I don't need to see that many threes. It's, it's just too much. It's redundant. Uh, the record, I believe, by the way, is 106 set by, who else, the Nets and Rockets a couple of years ago. Now, granted, the Celtics took the lion's share, a whopping 57, including seven in the second overtime while missing their last six. But 45 threes for the Knicks is 50% more than they averaged per game last year. Now, a big part of that, of course, is the presence of Fournier. He averaged damn near seven a game last season split between Orlando and Boston, and it's probably his best talent. He shot 46% from three for the Celtics during the regular season, and 43% for them in the playoffs. Now, why spend all that money to add that kind of shooter when crunch time scoring was clearly one of the Knicks' weaknesses last season and then not utilize it? It's only one game, so maybe that's something that Tibbs still has in his bag that he still intends to build into the Knicks' arsenal, but this is Tibbs we're talking about. Change does not come easy to the man. Set in his ways is an understatement. My larger point being, the Knicks won in spite of themselves. In spite of the fact that they have added some intriguing new pieces. In spite of the fact that they found out rather harshly the limitations of playing through Randall, 
especially against the league's best teams in the postseason. One last item I want to hit before we close, and that's Philadelphia 76ers head coach Doc Rivers lamenting that Ben Simmons is not with the team, how it's ruining the team's fun, and that he did not enjoy the congratulatory text messages he received presumably from other coaches, for suspending Simmons after he refused to jump into a drill in practice. Text messages, congratulatory text messages that we would not have known about if Doc had not told us. Doc says that he wishes Ben were playing and still a sixer, etc., etc. It is Doc at both his best and his worst. It's his best because it's what a thoughtful, caring person would say. A thoughtful, caring person would want everyone to be happy and would take no pleasure at the expense of someone who is unhappy. But it's his worst because it completely looks past Doc's part in why Ben is unhappy and why the Sixers are where they are. He didn't play Ben at the end of games against the Hawks in the playoffs, and he stopped running his offense through him because he didn't trust him which is his prerogative, and plenty of Sixers fans will tell you, was completely justified. But Doc had to know it would make Ben feel a certain kind of way. Sixers fans don't have to deal with that. Doc does. If Doc truly wanted everyone to be happy, truly wanted everyone to be happy, he would have called out Joel Embiid for insinuating that Ben cost them the series against the Hawks. That didn't happen. Instead, Doc was asked if he thought he could win with Ben. And he said, I'm not sure. He has since suggested that the media has taken that out of context. There are a lot of different ways he could have answered that, and there would be no way that it could be taken out of context. I just don't know how else that uncertainty can be interpreted any other way. Now, of course, Doc, Joel, and Daryl Morey, team president, and Ben are saddled with an uncomfortable situation they created. Ben is blaming the Sixers. Joel is blaming Ben. Daryl is pretending the situation doesn't exist. And Doc is blaming the media for asking the players about Ben, saying, the players have been normal. The only abnormal part is when they have to talk to the media afterwards and they're asked questions about Simmons. I'd like to think Doc is better than that. Or at least I used to. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I'm thinking about having a special guest to talk about the Vince Carter documentary that ha- that I happen to play a part in. Very interesting backstory and how it came together almost didn't come together. There are a few other things that are happening out there that I may have to jump to instead, including we'll get the culmination of the top 75 list, the best 75 in the first 75 years of the NBA's history. That should be completed, and it will be interesting to look at who is, and more important, who isn't on the list. So we're going to go in one of those two directions. 
in the next podcast. Not sure which one it will be, but, or could be a third. Who knows? But we will go in a certain direction. That I can promise. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.